Saturday show, hour number two on the Zone Sports Network, 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, the Zone Sports app. Make sure you uh, follow along on that as well. Also find everything on 1280thezone.com. If Happy. you want to weigh in on the show, by the way. Yeah, send us tweets. Send us into the, the open, open mic. mic. Yeah. Uh, Talon's got that pulled up on the super secret um, open mic line. And uh, if you've got anything to add to the show, mm-hmm. what we've talked about, Rudy Gobert, and if uh, the $250 million is looking at, the playoffs, anything else we've talked about today as well. Big thank you also to listening to the show here in Salt Lake. I know we've got listeners everywhere. Mm-hmm. We've got listeners in uh, Chicago. I know we have a listener in Beijing who sometimes sends us messages. Seattle, I've heard from as people to Arizona, all over the place. So. I had a guy call in to DJ and PK yesterday from Pittsburgh. Huge jazz fan, and he listens from Pittsburgh a lot. Yep. So, uh, big thanks to everyone around the country and in Utah that listens to the little, the little old Saturday show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Adrian Lizer with Jake Hatch and Talent Chapel. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at AP Lizer, L E I S E R. Follow Jake at Jacob C. Hatch, and you can follow Talent at T Chap Zone. I think I got it right that time. Congrats. I got it. I eventually have gotten his nice. Twitter down. So. <laughs> Um, so make sure you follow everybody. Follow all Jake's podcasts and uh, Talon's podcast, the DNPCD. Jake mm-hmm. has Locked On Cougars, DJ and Jake's Soccer Talk, uh, Salt City FC. Mm-hmm. You're going to bring back the RPO? Yes, we are. The RPO podcast, which will be this uh, fall, as he does college football. Um, and I do the movie zone. So yeah. catch all that on 128thezone.com. All right. Uh, Dennis Dodd of... I want to say CBS. CBS Sports. CBS Sports. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, I had a little bit of You're a uh, I zoned out a little bit there. Uh, Dennis Dodd was on with DJ and PK. Really fascinating conversation, Jake, yeah, about he, college football. Yeah, he was on yesterday. We wanted to have him on to talk about the Pac-12, what's going on, and where he kind of slots Utah in terms of the Pac-12 hierarchy as the offseason is in full swing. And he had some, like you said, very interesting takes on the Pac-12 as a whole, where he places Utah. So let's get to it. Here's Dennis Dobb with DJ and PK yesterday, right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, it's time to talk a little college football with Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. He comes to us on the Sprint Special guest line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. So we're curious as we see different uh, folks come out with their post-spring football or way-too-early summer top 25s and stuff like that. The Utes aren't in the top 10, but they seem to be consistently getting mentioned in the second 10. Do you believe that's how good they're really going to be this fall? I, I do because, because, one, they're good. Two, the Pac-12 remains so, I guess, competitive is the word, where there's no, there's not going to be an undefeated team, probably not going to be a one-loss team. So there's going to be plenty of people out there. And I just think, you know, I, I think Kyle is – is Kyle the senior coach now? I think he is. He's the senior the coach of the most seniority in the league, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, he is. Um, yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, it's the biggest thing he's done – at Utah to carry the, the torch from Urban, and he keeps doing it. And wins last year and played for it. So, yeah, I think they've got, I think I read where they've got their top, let's see, receiver, quarterback, defensive lineman, offensive lineman back at least. That's a good place to start. I wanted to go a little bit, little bit of a big picture, Dennis. The thing came out with the revenue. Uh, and, you know, the re- overall revenue decline. And there's all this stuff about the Pac-12 not keeping up 
with uh, other conferences. And we always hear they're falling behind the SEC. And that, that's a familiar refrain that just about everybody says. And granted, I graduated from a Pac-12 institution, so I'm going to try to pump up the conference a little bit. I don't have any problem acknowledging that. Uh, but when I look at, you know, they've fallen behind the SEC. I mean, they, have they really fallen behind Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina? You know, I don't think that they have. The money's going to make that big of a difference. I think they've, they've fallen behind Alabama and Georgia, and maybe LSU, but I don't know that they've been able to compete with those types consistently anyway. So I'm wondering, is it that alarming? If you're looking to compete at the highest level, the Alabamas of the world, that's you can't measure up to them anyway. Maybe SC could, but the other 90%, maybe Oregon and Stanford to a degree, and Washington, but the rest of the conference, they've never been able to compete with those schools anyway. So what difference does it make? As a conference, we're at the point now where there's an intelligent argument to be had whether we should call it the Power Four. That's how far the, the Pac-12 has fallen behind. And I don't, I don't think I'm talking out of school when I say that. Um, the revenue is only the beginning. I was My antenna really went up during recruiting when a lot of schools from back east, SEC, what have you, came and got some of the best players on the West Coast. Clemson just got the best player in the 2020 class with quarterback from Southern California, DJ. Um, I, I bet I could count on one on two hands the number of scholarship players Clemson has ever had from California. I mean, I could go on for half an hour, but I don't. I think you got to take this. You, you can't take this team by team. you got to take this as an entire conference. And it's going to manifest itself, the fact that in the first sentence of that earnings report this week, the the PAC-12, this is what they chose to lead. 74% of their revenue is being returned to the schools. That by far is the lowest percentage among the Power Five. And they make the argument, well, that includes the PAC-12 network. It includes the PAC-12 network and brings the number down because the PAC-12 network is underperformed. Uh, The usual number for... Any conference, not just Power Five, is to return at least 90% of the revenue to the schools. And that is going to manifest itself in facilities and ability to pay coaches and recruiting. It's, it's, it's at a low point. Yeah, but I, I think that's compared to Clemson. And that's my point. You, nobody in the Pac-12 is going to compare with Clemson. How about the rest of the, the Power Five, the Indianas of the world? Because when you look at it, the... Pac-12, you can add up their their entire spring ball, spring game attendance, and it's not as much as Ohio State or Alabama. So my point is, the emphasis of what college football is in those places, the Pac-12 is never going to be able to match. So, and I don't think Larry Scott has done a great job by any stretch. So I'm not, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, an apologist for him. I, I just think out here. They're not ever going to spend that kind of money either way. So, yes, those other teams, the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world, they're always going to be better than the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is never going to make as much money as the SEC and Big Ten, but I don't think it's unreasonable to ask that they win a championship every so often. It's been 15 years now since they've won a national championship in football. And yes, I know it's the Conference of Champions and all those volleyball and equestrian titles look really good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, where, where it counts, they just have underperformed. So, yes, on the face of it, yes, 
you can say that the, the Pac-12 is never going to overcome these conferences. That's the point. That's why they're trying to raise $750 million in equity money just as a bridge, bridge money so they can get to their next TV deal. Yeah. But I think the point is the emphasis. I always tell people, you know, the SEC gets plenty of uh, criticism for its slogan, it just means more. I hate to say this, but in the Pac-12, the presidents have, have shouted loud and clear, it just doesn't. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, for whatever that means, uh, you know, that's great. But it, it just doesn't. And one in eight in bowl games a couple of years ago, two years ago in the tournament, three teams in out in the first weekend for the first time in 32 years. It, it becomes a perception thing. We can have this micro argument about team versus team, but the Pac-12 is a bad national reputation right now. So there's the two key words right now. So mm-hmm. is there is it does it really just come down to USC because you look at how many national titles everybody else I mean Washington uh shared one I know in the early 90s. I don't think Oregon has had a national title. Stanford's been good, but not national title in football. They've been Rose Bowl good. So really this comes down to USC. I mean UCLA hasn't had a national title I think since the 50s in Red Sanders. Yeah, USC is the flagship program, obviously, and, and it would help if they got back to prominence. Um, you know, and they don't look like they're going to be that good this year. I'll boil it down for you. I, I think some, somehow, some way, and it starts with winning games, but somehow, some way, the Pac-12 needs to hire Urban Meyer, whether yeah. that's USC or somebody else. The problem in the Pac-12, and I've already written this, I can think of one, maybe two schools that would even entertain that thought, you know, Oregon and USC. And, and maybe not even USC, because there's some things that have gone on there that might preclude them from hiring Urban Meyer, considering the way that he left Ohio State. But my point is, there, it's going to take $8 million, or thereabouts, to get him. Can you think of That would be earth-shattering for any Pac-12 school to pay a head coach that much. I just don't think it'll happen. It would be SC or Oregon, and that would be it. Yeah. But even then, you're, ta- you're talking about a president signing off on an $8 million contract. I know Phil Knight would do it. Um, you know, USC is going through some external things right now, so I don't know. Well, isn't, Fre- uh, isn't Phil Knight the president of Oregon? Uh, de facto, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a, and a prominent shoe company, as I recall. Yes, there you yeah. go. A prominent shoe company. I like that. That's a good line. <laughs> Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports National College football writer, uh, joining us. So to merge these two things, SC's way down. There's no national powerhouse in the league. Utah looks like if they're not top 10, they're legit next 10. How big a stretch is it for them to win the conference and get to the Rose Bowl because the team that stood in the way last year, Washington, has still got Chris Peterson. They look like the best run outfit in the league. They got a pretty good tradition of their own. How good is Washington going to be? I think, well, that's two different things. I think Utah and Oregon are going to play for it. And I think I have Oregon 10th and Utah 12th in the post spring. I think they're the two best teams in the league. And I don't think it's close because of Washington's. Washington lost. I know they got Jacob Easton now, but you know I I, I don't know if that's a, a conference winning quarterback. I just don't think so. Uh, you know Utah with his physicality that is what Pete Carroll brought uh, to USC when they became powerful in the beginning of the century. Um, that's a thing that didn't have. I think Utah got that. Now they got some skill. What's going on in Eugene is fascinating to me. Uh, Mario Cristobal landed the number one recruit in the country, this defensive end from 
I want to say Louisiana, I think, or Florida. Uh, they've got maybe the best quarterback in the country returning, um, certainly one of the top in the, in the draft next year. And he's built that team out with an SEC mentality. In other words, he's starting with the defensive and offensive lines. So I think he's going to we're going to do it. Yeah, Washington will be a factor. But I think for one of those teams to get to the Rose Bowl would be huge. Certainly for Utah, it would be unprecedented. I like what you said there about Cristobal building that SEC mindset because it's apparent that's what he's doing, and he comes off as a tough guy, and and they're the you know the play the team is in his image and all that stuff. I'm wondering nationally how that would fly when the Pac-12, whether it be Oregon, whoever it might be, tries to make a national push and plays against national competition. If that's going to really work, because you look at back to the Pac-10 and now 12, it reminds me of like the the, the old days of BYU in that uh, they would beat you through scheming. They didn't have the best athletes, but they would Mm -hmm. out-scheme you. And I'm wondering, he may be able to win, and you've got him winning the North, and we'll see if that happens, and then if they would play Utah in the South, see what what goes there. But I'm wondering, is is that really the way to go for the Pac-12? Should it be more of go more wide open and have uh, receivers, a kid like Nikhil Harry, who can is just was sensational at the collegiate level and try to go through the air rather than trying to out SEC SEC teams? Well, you can use Nikhil Harry as an example. How far did he get Arizona State? You know, they, they fired their coach and, and hired, to their credit, Herm Edwards. So that was old Pac-12, Pac-10 stuff, and I think Herm's doing a great job. Oh, I think it's a bad to build up both lines. I mean, I you know, look, Oklahoma can't stop air, but they've got a, a yeah. hell of an offensive line. Um, they just got to get things together defensively. I, I think, you know, again, you know, last year it was Washington-Auburn in the opener. That kind of defined the Pac-12 season and perception. Same thing this year. Auburn and Oregon in Arlington, Texas, right. the Jer- Jerry Dome. I think for a lot of people, if Oregon doesn't win this game, they're going to write off the Pac-12 after week one. I'm not saying that's right. No, I I hear you. That that may happen. So, you know, it's interesting because... Let me me interrupt, because I don't think Auburn's very good. Right. Um, You know, this is a team that can be had. So the, it's interesting because Mel Kuyper's coming out with uh, draft uh, you know, analysis, looking ahead a full year, you know, five underclassmen, five seniors. Well, he mentions four Pac-12 quarterbacks, and Oregon's got one of them. So does Oregon have the total deal where they can spread you out and out-scheme you, but at the same time they can also throw the ball all over the field like some of the Pac-12 teams that were really good in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're balanced. Um, look, they used Dylan Mitchell, their best receiver from last year. He had almost 1,200 yards um, in receiving before he left as a junior. Uh, but, uh, again, I, when I say balance, I say run pass, and I think balance on defense, too. Part of the deal that coaches have realized now with these uh, tempo offenses is if you don't succeed uh, and you have a, too many three and outs, you're putting your defense out there too long. And it doesn't matter how quickly you can score because – because you're leaving your defense out there and they're getting tired. So it's become – and look it up because I, 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 almost every year the team that runs it and passes it almost equally, not a great team, they're really good at doing it is Oklahoma State. I mean, almost every year if you look at number of snaps and even yards, they will throw it and run it uh, almost uh, 
pretty much the even, 50% each. And if you can do that, and that's where it's trending, then you're doing really good things. Why do you think that Larry Scott, Larry Scott has the support that he does? Because it do, does seem like, you know, it's been, uh, you talk about perception, and I agree with you 100%, the perception is absolutely awful, but yet they're giving yeah. $500,000 raise. Yeah, I think it's waning. Um, Ed Ray is one of his guys, the president of Oregon State. He's retiring. Uh, you know, uh, I forget who the, the president is at UCLA, but I hear he's lost something there. Um, uh, the president at Arizona State was right in his corner. There are about three of them, and I think his support is waning. But it's not showing. Uh, if you go back to that earnings report this week, there's a, there's a conference that lost money, a Power Five conference that lost money, not overall, but in terms of year-over-year revenue. They declined. He got a half-million-dollar raise. So at that point, like I said, I just throw up my hands and say, look, you, you probably deserve, you know, get what you deserve. If you're given a guy who has, you know, a, a network that has been, I, you know, I'm not speaking out of turn here, has been a failure. Um, the success on the field speaks for itself. There hasn't been any. Um, there's been scandal at USC and Arizona and basketball alone. I, I, I don't get it. Um, you know, I, I really don't. Uh, they, you know, they've increased the expenses. The revenues down. The expenses are way up. I toured the the office in January when I was in town for the championship game, and I, I you know, it, it, the rent is very, very high in the middle of San Francisco. I didn't think it was ostentatious. Um, I didn't think it was you know small by any means, but it wasn't out of control. But they, they've even lost the message there, and I wrote about it earlier in the year that they've lost the ability to control the message because I expected to find, you know, gold-handled toilets in there, and it wasn't bad. <laughs> Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports National College football writer, uh, joining us. Can the Pac-12 be damaged permanently by this, or is it a cycle defined by, you know, bad management, bad, management, bad plan, wrong leadership, but inevitably people change, plans change, it'll be fine, or do the we used to have, you know, six conferences that mattered. Now we have five. Could it go to four and the Pac-12 is messing things up big time? I think they just need to win games. And that comes back to my point about Urban Meyer. They've got some really good coaches in the league right now. They just have to capitalize on that. Um, you know, I, I don't have to mention those guys. You know, David Shaw at, uh, at Stanford. I mean, Kyle, obviously. I think Herm Edwards is a, is a really good coach. I was surprised, having been out of the game that long. Chris Peterson's one of the top five in the country. Um, so, and if they do get Urban, that'd be fantastic. That's almost guaranteed a national championship wherever he goes. But they just have to win games. The Big Ten was like this for a while. Back, I want to say at the beginning of the century, there was a really big story written in uh, the, the Chicago Sun-Times at the time about how recruiting had gone down. Players don't want to go to the Big Ten because of the cold weather climate. Um, and that all changed, or started to change, when within a few weeks, you know, Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh, you know, were hired at their schools a year apart. Not, not weeks apart, but a year apart. And, and look where it is now. Um, it hasn't played in the playoffs in the last two years, but it's not exactly suffering. And we just saw what their earnings report was. They They're number one with a bullet over everybody, including the SEC. We talk about the NBA, and we know it's the Warriors, and we're going to talk about college football. Is it Clemson, Alabama, too? 
Yeah, again, this year it is. They're uh, ahead of everybody else. It's, there's not going to be much drama, I think. If, if Clemson loses the game, they deserve not to go to the playoff because the ACC's down. They're so far ahead of everybody else. I don't see anybody on the schedule that can come within 10 points of them, and I mean that. I, I, you know, they, they get A&M at home. They had A&M on the road last year, and that was a close game by two points. A&M isn't as good as they were last year. If anybody comes within ten points, then I'll, I'll be surprised. Maybe Syracuse, but I, you know, I'm I'm not sure. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, lack of drama, um, and then the usual suspects after that: Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, for those other two spots. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports National College Football Writer, joining us here on the Zone. Dennis, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you. There you go, Dennis Dodd. Awesome to hear from him, and you heard him say. He thinks it's Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 for the Pac-12 championship, at least at this juncture, of course. Injuries and everything can take their toll. We haven't, played, we haven't gotten to the season yet, but very interesting to hear him say that. And I also heard him talk about he feels like there's a conversation about this being the Pac- the Power 4 versus the Power 5 because the Pac-12 has fallen so far behind. Yeah, let's get into that on the other side. Let's talk about where we think the Pac-12 is, why it is – the way that Dennis believes, or maybe it's not. Who knows? We can get into that discussion coming up on the other side. Uh, big thanks to Dennis Dodd and DJ and PK. Make sure to catch that show every day, 6 to 10, here on the Zone Sports Network, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys always have some great guests and conversations on the morning drive, so uh, don't miss that show. Coming up on the other side, we'll talk Pac-12 and Utah's chances in the conference and where the conference stacks up against the others in the country. That's all coming up here on the Saturday Show. Welcome on back to the Saturday show. Thanks for joining us. Beautiful weather on this afternoon, Memorial Day weekend. Hope this weather holds up. Just give me summer. We're, well, the thing is, we're going to get I want to go sit by the pool. Uh-huh. Do you have a pool at your place? Yeah, it's yeah. I have one. Oh, but, I've heard the story about this. But uh, yeah, I can't tell you what. <laughs> I, I can't talk on air about nothing I did. I want to make nothing, that clear. Yeah, nothing but, you did, but uh, pretty funny circumstance. I may not go in it this year, <laughs> yeah, based on I understand. But what certain people who live in my community have done to that thing. It's been an interesting, interesting spring because I was looking at the forecast. They kind of extended out. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get into June. Like June first is only gonna be like seventy degrees. And I'm, I know there's a big festival downtown next weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, which is usually 100 degrees during yep. the parade, and uh, it's going to be a little different this year. Yeah. So I'm actually kind of excited. For no, it. I'm excited. It'll be actually really nice. Granted, we're going to give us about three weeks, and it'll be 100 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm going to say is, this if, is if, if it's raining in California when I'm there in, a, in not this week but next week, I'm going to have a mini panic attack. It's wild well, town. No one feels bad for you when you go to California. Nope. Just ask Jake, nope. who went the other week. <laughs> I did. By the way, covering for your show has completely jacked up my sleep schedule. I'm getting up so early now. Good. You're being productive. Like, early for me. No, like, he wakes up and goes back to bed. Early no, to no, bed, I early, get out of bed. Early to bed, early to rise. Well, you not I know, I'm still wisdom? going to bed late, but... <laughs> Like usually for like, <laughs> usually for work, I'll get up at like seven seven thirty, uh-huh. and now it's like six six thirty. My body is just you like, got an get extra up. hour to do stuff. Yeah, 
I don't know. It's it does mess with your schedule. I actually had a guy. I was at the. I was covering the RSL match for the station last night, and one of the guys was at the match. He's like, Jake, how long have you been doing DJ and PK? And I'm like, this month marks five years doing it. And he's like, Really? Are you used to like waking up that early? I'm like, my my sleep schedule is just all jacked up. That's the yeah. simplest way to put it. But it's all right. It's fun to do, and hey. It beats digging ditches for a living. It does. It uh, yeah, I'm not complaining at all. Um, but yeah, hopefully what, we get a little more weather. This is one of the few years that it hasn't done that classic Utah thing where we have snow, then one day of spring, and it's 1,000 degrees out there. By the way, when you go to California, you going to Disneyland? No, I'm not. Okay. Thank goodness. Well, hopefully it's... does. So my wife, of course, is, a, is from Orange County down there in Southern California. She saw something this week, Adrian, at Disneyland she has never seen in her entire What's life. What's that? Every parking spot for the entirety of Disneyland, they have a lot of parking. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you know yeah. that, you know how expensive those parking lots are. Every spot was filled. Really? I know that the, the new Star Wars Galaxy Edge is opening. That's it, probably it. But it hasn't even opened yet, and they filled every spot. Doesn't it open this weekend? It's the 31st, so coming up next weekend. Oh, okay. But she said she's never seen that in all the years. She she grew up ten minutes from Disneyland. She'd never seen that before. I was and to think about that that many people at a theme park to have every parking spot mm. filled, that just is incredible. Yeah, to I me. don't. Yeah, <laughs> not a. I, I enjoy going to Disneyland and yeah. Disney World, but I I think I've been enough for my life. I would tend to agree with you, but I also have small children. Now so. get get Universal fired up and get me over to Harry Potter land, <laughs> and that's where I'll be. You'll find that. me yeah. over there. Absolutely. Talon's shaking his head at me, at my nerdiness. All right, let's get into what <laughs> Game we're- Game of Thrones land, that's where I want to be. Yeah, that's that's coming up soon, I'm sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, when HBO Park opens up, I'm sure that could be a thing. Six Flags will pick up on yeah, it, man. who knows. Um, let's talk about a little bit of what Dennis Dodd was talking about, how the Pac-12 mm-hmm. is falling far behind the uh, P5- the rest of the p5 conferences you heard there pk disagreed a little bit yeah and uh which is okay there's it's always good to have discourse like that um where do you land on that is it just because they haven't been to the playoff lately and that means they're falling behind is it just the money is it the fact that there really isn't a team that seems to be competitive enough to get into the playoff where do you fall on all this well you heard dennis say it it's been 15 years since the pac-12 won a college football national title Mm -hmm. and that signals that you are among the elite so if you have a if your recruits that are you're recruiting if they weren't in school the last time you won a national title as a conference that may be a little tough to overcome that perception and part of that i think you bring up a great point because part of um uh, pk's argument was and tell me if i'm saying this wrong but he, uh, he was saying well of course but the other team, there's teams like Indiana and all these other schools that don't fall yeah. under that category. I agree with him in that sense, but to your point, someone in the conference has won a national title. The ACC might be the worst conference, mm-hmm. but as far as competitive nature goes. But they have two of the last three national but, titles. Right, but they have Clemson, mm-hmm. who can carry the flag, as it were, for the conference. So uh, not winning a title in 15 years, I think, is a bigger deal than it sounds like. Also, all the money, the fact that your games are on so late, so no one's watching you anyway. So recruits, Dennis brought up an interesting point, that recruits are heading from California to Clemson and to these other schools. Yeah, DJ uh, Wigalila. Wigalele, he is the number one rated high school quarterback uh-huh. from Southern California. He's going to Clemson. He's going clear across the country. Yeah. And you'd think maybe four, five, six, seven years ago, he probably ends up staying on the West Coast. But now he's going 
from the Pacific Coast to the Atlantic Coast. That's going to be interesting to see. I think that there's a perception problem with the Pac-12, but I'm not sure there's a way to overcome it without mm. having USC get back on top. And if, if you're right. and if you're a Utah fan, you don't want to hear that at all because if you if USC's on top of the Pac-12, they have a stranglehold on that conference, and ain't nobody else getting close to them. But you have to have that in my mind for the Pac-12 to overcome this perception they've built for themselves. You have to have a school that has big name power. Yeah, and, and is in the national conversation. Washington it, and Oregon could become that, but they're going to need to do that for an extended run. Yeah, to do and, that. and Oregon was that because they were the first to get into this flashy locker room thing. Yeah, because but they also they kind of they were cheating too, right? But they kind of led the way with all the money coming in. Phil Knight decided, "I'm going to build yeah, this Uncle incredible Phil, yeah. facility." That was they set the pace there, mm-hmm. I would argue. But then everyone else caught up. Yes. I mean, Utah has – I they were just as good of a facility as some of these other facilities around the country. So Oregon was that – they had that short, small window, mm-hmm. A, because they were cheating, and B, because they put all this money into Nike, yeah. and they were able to lure college athletes in with giving them the cool gear. and the, Remember how it was, what is Oregon going to wear this week? Yeah. This, what color combination the, is the Oregon wearing? uniform combo combinations. One guy tweeted out one time of all of his, had all of his jerseys from his time at Oregon. There was like yeah. 57 of them. Right. And he w- and that was kind of, Oregon was the first school to do that. Now all these schools are doing new combinations. Yep. Every week, um, it's, you know, uniform watch or whatever Twitter accounts are out there. This is what mm-hmm. this school is wearing. Talent- how, well, how long ago was it that like no one followed uh, team equipment managers or accounts right. on Twitter, but now they're like a, a daily the, check during the football the season because you've got to see who yeah. who is wearing what and in what combination and who's releasing a new black uniform or a new yeah. white uniform or a new completely alternate uniform or a state it's true. Uh, recognition uniform. Mm-hmm. Nope, you're totally right. And some of those things the Pac-12 was ahead of, and now they're part of the pack, mm-hmm. as it were, for lack of better term. Um but I, I think you're right. A school like USC has to be, has to kind of lift up the conference, and then maybe if other schools can get through and beat USC, then it could prove that they're worthy of being in this conversation nationally. But right now, yeah. I think nationally, it's looked at as a conference that's not really in the power play right now. They look at it as a finesse conference versus a power conference. Sure. They talked about what Dennis talked about with PK about how uh, Mario Cristobal has gone about building Oregon in the vein of an SEC school. Mario worked for for Nick Saban before moving on to Oregon, and he's seen what Saban has done with Alabama's program, and he wants to build that on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. If it pays off. Oregon could become elite once again. I, I truly believe that because just with the money that Phil Knight is willing to put into that program, they have nothing that can hold them back. It's just a matter of getting athletes to go to Eugene. Oregon, let's be real, is in an awful spot to recruit to in all reality because Eugene, Oregon is not a hub. It's in yeah, the middle I, of the state. I go to uh, Oregon quite a lot because I go up to the coast. Yeah. And uh, – I, last time I was up there, I had to drop my friend off at the Eugene Airport. Okay, and uh, it's a like it's a single terminal. It's remote. Yeah, it's remote. Uh, Corvallis is a postage stamp up there. It takes a long. But it's closer t- to Portland. No, Eugene's closer to Portland. Is it really? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, but well, still. at least according to the way I drive. The way you drive. Okay, but, but uh, either way, I mean, Corvallis is an hour and a half away from portland so they're out there yes so you're so, totally right so it's a hard place recruiting to get these to. guys to those locations let's say if an Oregon wasn't a portland they'd be rolling because it's a hub it's a yep. place that people know about 
if he can build what he's envisioned in his mind doing with Oregon, and they're very much on the climb right now because they have one of the top quarterbacks in the country this year with Justin Herbert. They've recorded, recruited all kinds of players. They've got the kid from um, California who's the star defensive end, who's number one rated recruit in this past recruiting class. They've got a lot of talent. Can they capitalize on it? We'll see. And can they break the perception of being a lesser conference to get into? Well, yeah. Whatever team comes out of the Pac-12 has to go essentially undefeated and break perception that they're not going to pull a Washington from last time Washington got in. Yeah, go and win a game in the the college football playoff. We'll see. It's going to take time because a lot of people talk about the money. Uh, Of course, the uh, Pac-12 announcing that they uh, paid out $29.2 million per school, and the Big Ten just reporting that they're going to pay out $54 million. Yeah. That, that, that amount of money, okay, I get that there's going to be a perception issue there, but the, the, the Pac-12 is not cashing $100,000 checks. They're cashing almost $30 million. So these programs should be flush with cash. It's just a matter of getting the right people in place. Well, and part of it, too, I wonder, you know, for us, we go, wow, that's a $20 million difference. But do you think, like, the school presidents necessarily care how they are stacking up against – I don't know. This is a legitimate question. Do they care how they're stacking up against a team from the SEC or there the Big Ten? There are some, I'm sure, that care. Other but ones like Oregon don't. State, if they're getting $31 million because of football, do you think they're like, oh, well, they were so far behind the University of Wisconsin? Well, they shouldn't be com- comparing themselves to Right, Wisconsin. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So do you think they really care that much? I, I do wonder. That's a great question. And I do wonder. And maybe that's why Larry Scott continues to stay a part of this because the schools are like, well, you know, it's not $50 million, but hey, it's $31 million. Yeah, but. And uh, we're here in. You know, but they are the the problem is that the Pac-12 is going to continue to have perception issues. They're going to continue to get those bad TV windows. Yeah, I know they're doing their best to combat it. They're trying to get earlier on in the day and whatnot. Well, it's like the NBA; they've talked about moving the West Coast games up. Yeah, exactly. So, in terms of just the location, the Pac-12 it's rough because fifty percent of the TV households in this country are in the Eastern Time Zone. Yeah. So you you automatically if you're if you're kicking off at eleven thirty their time or ten thirty their time. Think how many TV households are turning off their TV after maybe a half an hour of watching you, if, yeah. if they're watching you to begin with. Right. All that really matters is kids want to be seen on TV, uh-huh. and if the writers are watching, and yeah. they go to bed. And writers have talked. I've seen multiple Tony, writers talk about it. Tony yeah. talks about it. When he was on the East Coast trying to fill out his ballot, he was up to like 6 a.m. watching football. He said it's, it's impossible. How, how he doesn't know how any of these guys do it from that time zone. So I don't know. It's I've just, decided the what the, if you if you want to truly be a college football like know it all, you want to cover everything, you want to watch everything. You know where you need to live in my mind to do that? Portland, Oregon. Nope, Hawaii. Oh well, yeah. Because but because you think about it, Hawaii, you'd start games about six seven a.m. local time. Sure, yes, and Hawaii, you're, and you're done by eight p.m. Mainland, you want to live on the coast. You want to live on the west coast yeah. if at all possible. Man, I I always thought like co- covering the NBA on the west coast would be so nice. Yeah. Because it's just like everything's over. Yeah, it would be. You'd be the last games and whatnot. I understand that. It's early. I do respect what the. The NBA is trying to do in terms of getting some of these TV windows. They up have to earlier. because the all the players are out in the West. They are, and, and Adam Silver, I think, admits that that whoa, we got to we got to showcase our league, and right now it's really West heavy. The, and the Big Twelve, the, 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 not the Big Twelve, the uh, Pac Twelve has has tried to do that, but the problem with the Pac Twelve is they signed away their rights to mm-hmm. control that to these to ESPN to Fox, so they control it. 
the NBA can control what they're what they're doing with yep. their tip times. Well, and Fox essentially said to the Pac-12, nah. I understand what Fox is doing because they want to get true. They want to get that game on to help prop up that pregame show that they're starting up this year. But you're all right. They're not playing a Pac-12 game at 9 a.m. No, they're not. So uh, interesting conversation. Uh, I think everyone can agree though, if the Pac-12 gets a title contender that they'll be right back in the thick of the conversation yeah. because if you as Dennis said there I mean the next best team in the ACC is Syracuse. Yes. So the, uh they're the ACC's not very good but they're going to have the national champion 3 out of the next 4 years. Yeah, the last time the the Pac-12 had a national champion the recruits in this recruiting class were 3 years old. It's crazy. Like that doesn't help you. You no. can go say, "Hey, we've won national championships." Well, yeah, when was the last time you won it? Um 2000 2008. Sorry, not 2004. Oh, well, I was three years old, coach. Right, yeah. They, they, you walk into a room and say, yeah, we're the tournament of cha- or the conference of champions in every other sport. Yeah. So they, they, Other than the big ones. They need to have some teams step up, whether that's USC, whether that's Oregon. Utah would be great to see something like that. They can, can continue sure. to have their staying power. It would be awesome. But they need to have some teams really become, an, become elite programs. Yep, I totally agree. All right, coming up on the other side, it's time for me to step aside and give the floor to Talon and Jake, as I don't know how I agreed to this segment weeks and months <laughs> ago, but five minutes of soccer returns. RSL had an exciting match two of them yep. wait or they won two to one sorry talent was giving me hand signals and i didn't know what he meant three but straight wins apparently they won three in a row and they won two to one on the last kick of the game or something mm-hmm. talent's going to tell you all about that with jake coming up on the other side here on the saturday show David James on the call, our very own DJ. With Brian Dunseth. With Brian Dunseth. Good call there as uh, RSL gets the win and uh, or the result. The win. The win. Sorry, I don't know the results. results you think we're like obsessed with these European <laughs> soccer words? <laughs> you are. Every time I speak to you guys, it's like I don't understand pitch, what you're saying. Yeah. The boots. A brace. The what, brace. What the heck is a brace? <laughs> Sounds like something I need on my knees. Um it's time now for five minutes of soccer. I will lead back and uh, interject with um, random things as we go. But Jay Catch, Talon Chapel, who cover ourselves for the station, uh-huh. uh, they will now discuss that latest victory. Go yeah, ahead. So RSL that wake up their third straight win, defeating the defending MLS Cup champion Atlanta United FC two one last night. The call you just heard right there was ninety was stoppage time, ninety plus four minutes. Jefferson Savarino scores his second goal of the season, the second goal in as many matches, on an absolute laser from twenty five yards out. 
and I think this is a big time result. Just and tell and see if you agree with me on this. Is they have now beaten the last two MLS Cup champions in back to back weeks. They've won three straight matches. They now have a two game road trip uh, to finish out play before the Gold Cup break um, takes place. But RSL is really trending up at a good time of the year. Oh yeah, uh, and I, not only not you don't even just look at wins and points and results you just look at the way they're playing and Mm -hmm. the offense is miles ahead of where they started this season uh they've gotten some fresh legs in there uh with the additions of Bofo Salcedo getting the last two starts and he scored two goals to basically just one goal one goal two times Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's true. And uh, Savarino uh, was injured a little bit early in the season. He's come back and looked amazing. Uh, so not only just the fact that they've racked up nine points, but just they're they're playing at a, an elite r- level right now. And it's kind of a shame that they're going to have to go on that Gold Cup break. Uh, you're going to have to hope that Pecky can keep everything rolling. But Pecky also has some tough decisions to make because he's had some keep what everyone thought were going to be key players mm-hmm. for them, but now they're on the bench. And yeah. so he's going to have to figure out how to manage those minutes and who to start where and who to start when. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to head to Montreal midweek this week, uh, face off against the Impact Wednesday night, and then they finish out play before that Gold Cup break at New York. You'll see some roster shake up here as they kind of just manage minutes and miles on guys' legs, but. The nice part is going into that Gold Cup break, a lot of people think they're taking three weeks off. They're not taking three weeks off because they have the U.S. Open Cup. I know, another competition inside the competition that takes place. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I know. The Gold Cup and the U.S. Open Cup are different things during the MLS Gold Cup, Cup is, season. Gold Cup is international. Yep. And then the U.S. Open, US Open Cup is club level. Adrian, you, could, you, could, you technically could start a soccer team and play in the U.S. Open Cup. You could technically, if you were to advance, get the right draw, you could be playing at Rio Tinto All Stadium. Right. It's a pretty much open competition, and MLS clubs enter it kind of midway through the tournament. They have these young, these these smaller clubs play it out, mm. and that'll be happening a lot of it during this Gold Cup break. But like like Talon says, you don't necessarily want to see so this they team pause the season for a competition, for an international that competition, anybody can enter. Well, no, they're not pausing the season for that. They're pausing the season for the Gold Cup, the international tournament. Oh, okay. This U.S. Open Cup goes in concert with oh, okay. the MLS season. It just right, happens. The U.S. Open Cup's also starting the same time the Gold Cup's going on. I think I understand. A lot of competitions. PK loves to make fun of DJ about all this. I would he calls agree it, with he, PK. He, he on likes this. to call it the Dixie Cup competition. Yes. <laughs> If you listen to the show. So I think the biggest thing we can take away from this is RSL is really trending up right now. I'm hopeful that the crowds start to show up, though, too, because the crowds so far for RSL and Talon pointed this out in the break. The weather hasn't been that cooperative for good weather when it comes to RSL's home matches so far. But you really can't beat a night along the Wasatch Front at some of the outdoor venues we got. So, uh, Smith's Ballpark for the Bees, Rio Tinto Stadium for RSL. Some great venues to take in sports. And they're starting to look, you know, it's one thing when the team is not exciting to mm-hmm. play. There yeah. were, Because there, there were years where RSL was a good team, but maybe not the most exciting to watch. Yeah, This team, the way they're playing right now is very fun to watch. Yeah, it is. And they're, they're playing well. So we'll see what happens. they got two matches this week on the road before that Gold Cup break ensues. And guess what, Adrian? Even with that Gold Cup break going on, we're still going to talk five minutes of soccer. We'll come up with something. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't take it away from you guys. <laughs> Especially on the weeks. We don't always have talent around, so yeah. we need to make sure when we've got them that yep. we can give you guys your five minutes. Anything else? You guys good? Anything else you want to add, talent? I'm good. You got anything? Uh, 
anything international. I'm, I'm very I'm very excited that uh, FIFA decided to keep the World Cup at 32 teams when they play in the summer in or excuse me in the in the winter in Qatar. Yeah. So that they changed one thing but left the other alone, which well, is they probably should just pull the whole tournament from Qatar. Yeah. But no, I agree. Story. Yeah, I very much agree. <laughs> yeah, but that. Uh, that also brings up a scary thought that uh, we are not certain that the U.S. are even going to get in the tournament again. I think they will. Um, I thought that last time too, and they haven't made a ton of strides yeah, since we'll then. See. So, yeah, just don't lose to Trinidad and Tobago, and you're good. Well, don't take on two nations at once. What are you talking about? Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's Jake. Twenty-two on eleven. It's All no right. fair. That da- that dad joke. That that was pretty good, Jake. All right, uh, coming up on the other side, we're gonna let you hear from John Beck, who is on with DJ and PK. Uh, I just I wanted to play this one because it's a really fascinating conversation about Zach Wilson, mm-hmm. and then Jake and I are going to get in, in town as well. We're going to get into uh, the local, the three major local teams here in college football, and uh, what each of them will have to do, where we think how many games they'll win, and what might cause them to fall short of some of our expectations. We'll get into all that in the next hour here on the Saturday Show.